Hey you guys, Flickers of Fear time once again, and once again, I have one of these weird ass movies <laughs> that I seem to love, but seem to be kind of divisive everywhere else. So let's get into it. I don't recall exactly when I was first made aware of this movie, uh, which came out originally in 2018, like did the round of the festivals and stuff, and is called Braid. I'm pretty sure that I read about it on one of those lists sometimes that like different horror sites will put up like best horror movies of the 2010s or, you know, movies, you know, on Netflix or whatever the hell that you want to see. And I tend to like kind of peruse those from time to time just to get like ideas on what to what to watch next. You know what I mean? Because I do kind of like there's so many horror movies coming out and I need like some a little bit of somebody curating stuff so I'm not just like watching a bunch of crap all the time. So the premise of Braid from the little that I read of it, like on this horror list that I don't remember, sounded kind of intriguing back then. I think this was in 2019 or 2020. Um, but I kind of sort of forgot about it until I actually saw it pop up to stream for free on Tubi the other day. So I thought, well, shit, I had been wanting to see that, actually. So I'm going to give it a spin. And, you know, because I was kind of eager to see, like, what it was all about. Because, like I said, it sounded really weird, and I'm into that. Now, I am going to give a caveat up front, however. I actually liked this film a lot. But it's definitely, like I said, it's definitely one of those divisive movies. You will either absolutely vibe with this and, like, dig it immensely, as I did, or you will watch it and roll your eyes at it because, maybe because, like, it seems like meaningless style over substance to you or weirdness for the sake of being weird. Um, because I admit that it is pretty damn weird. I would also suggest avoiding this if you're not a big fan of like real acid trip type visuals, um, a narrative that is very not straightforward, like that's kind of like fractured and maybe seems like a little bit senseless, like on first viewing and a bewildering array, array of like possible interpretations. Now, if you're the kind of person that doesn't like movies like that, then stay far, far away from this because uh, if you watch it, you're probably gonna have a bad time. Now, while I was watching this, I was actually reminded of a few other movies like here and there. It's not exactly like these, but this is kind of like in the same area. Um, I think the movie that it reminded me of the most was We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which also came out in 2018, which, if you don't know, is an adaptation of a Shirley Jackson novel from 1962. Had Crispin Glover in it, among other people. Uh, so it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Also caught big whiffs of the 1994 film Heavenly Creatures, which was kind of like a fantastical take on like a real true crime type story, um, which is actually really good. If you haven't seen it, Kate Winslet was in it. Um, little bit, had got a little bit of, like, um, excision from 2012, which is great if you haven't seen it, and maybe even a sprinkle of The Neon Demon, like, from 2016. Like I said, it's not exactly like any of those, but that's kind of, like, the ballpark that we're in. It's, like, kind of surreal, a little bit, you know, hyper-real, a little bit, like, hyper-kinetic, like, a very, very stylized in places. So if you liked any of those movies, then there's, like, a good chance that you'll probably like this one as well. Oh, and here's a fun fact that I discovered while I was doing some research on this movie. Uh, this is actually the first movie in the history of filmmaking that was entirely funded with cryptocurrency. Um, not that you would know that necessarily from watching it, but, you know, I found that an interesting little factoid that might help me out if I ever <laughs> turn up on Jeopardy one day. 
So this was written and directed by Mitzi Perrone. Now, this is her feature-length debut. I believe she'd made a couple of short films prior to this, but this is her feature-length, uh, first feature-length film. Uh, it was also released, as far as I know, under a couple of alternate titles, one of those being Dying to Play and the other one being Nobody Leaves. So Braid is focused pretty much exclusively on three characters. You have Petula, who's played by uh, Imogen Waterhouse, who was in Nocturnal Animals. You have Tilda, who's played by Sarah May, or Sarah Hay, rather, sorry. Uh, She was in Black Swan and The Mortuary Collection, which is getting great if you haven't seen that. Uh, It's an anthology. And Daphne, who's played by probably the most famous, uh, you know, actor in this, Madeline Brewer, who was in Cam. She was in Orange is the New Black. She's on Handmaid's Tale. So, you know what I mean? So she's in it uh, as well. So at the beginning of the story, uh, Petula and Tilda, who are living in New York City, uh, it looks like New York City, and they kind of live like in a sort of shitty apartment. They're kind of anticipating all the money they're going to make by from this big drug score that they just got. They're kind of like counting out like all the drugs in their apartment being like, ooh, it's all this money. And when we sell these, we're going to get out of here and like, you know, make our dreams come true and all that kind of stuff. Uh, however, while they're in the middle of counting out all the money, like all the drugs and everything like that, so all the drugs are spread out all over the floor, um, the cops come to the door <laughs> and start like raiding the place. So they have to flee their apartment. Now, they actually end up escaping, like, with their lives and their freedom intact, obviously, but they were forced to leave over 80 grand worth of product behind, and their dealer, Coco, who we actually never see or hear, um, you know, we just see her, like, talking to him, her, whoever it is, like, on the phone, but you never hear their voice or anything. Uh, So Coco has given them 48 hours to get that 85 grand or whatever it is, like, back, you know, get him his money back. So they're not really sure what else to do. So they decide to travel back to their implied hometown of Montpelier, Vermont. Uh, And that's where their childhood friend Daphne still lives. Now, there's kind of a sequence where they're on the train, like going to Vermont. And the implication here is that Petula is maybe kind of like well-known like maybe she's some kind of like cam girl or something like that because her and tilda like didn't buy tickets they just like stowed away on the train i guess and like when when one of the conductors like comes along looking for the tickets like she he seems to recognize her and he's like leering at her all creepily and she like drags him into a bathroom and he calls her goddess and like starts licking her shoe and stuff like that so it's implied that like that's what she's been doing for money and like she's famous enough that a random dude would like know who she is so they're going back to montpelier vermont their friend daphne who it's you know you're led to assume was their friend from childhood she lives in very very wealthy splendor now she has inherited daphne has this massive estate and presumably a fortune like after the recent death of her grandparents i'm not sure if it's said like exactly how long ago it was but you're led to think that it was like fairly recent However, Daphne is also severely mentally ill, uh, so much so that she seems to have very, very little connection to reality at all. She just lives in this massive, massive mansion all by herself and just kind of lives in her own, like, you know, isolated fantasy world, essentially. 
So Petula and Tilda uh, then surmise that they're going to be able to search Daphne's house to find the safe that they believe is hidden on the premises and, you know, thereby obtaining all the money they'll ever need. And then they'll be able to, again, like I said, start their lives anew. Now, even before they go back there, they're very aware that this plan that they have comes with a price. If they go back to Daphne's house, they're going to have to play the game. Now, this game, which is revealed to have originated in the three girls' childhood, um, basically only has three very inflexible rules. Everyone must play, no outsiders allowed, and no one leaves. So the game, as it sort of starts to unfold over the course of the movie, is, you know, this kind of like bizarre, essentially like a role-playing exercise, I guess. Like Daphne is always playing the role of like the firm but doting mother character. Tilda is, you know, the dutiful daughter who has to do everything that mother tells her to do, no matter how fucked up. And Petula is the visiting doctor uh, who actually sees to the daughter's ailments and uh, even gives mother some, you know, bedside manner. (laughs) some loving on the side, like when the mood arises. Like I said, you have to do everything that mother says. That's like part of the game. So, and you know, Daphne is not right. So she comes up with like some pretty messed up stuff and you have to do it. So from that point, uh, the narrative begins to kind of unspool and warp in very, very bizarre and kind of wonderful ways. It's very uh, Alice through the looking glass type of thing. Um, And you watching it, you're kind of left with the distinct sense that you might possibly also be losing your mind, like right alongside the characters, because kind of the concept of time and continuity, like starts becoming ever more slippery, like as the movie goes on, like, for example, like Petula and Tilda, they go on this like PCP fueled bender at one point, And they're like running through the outside and everything's like magenta, like everyone's hair is purple and magenta, like it's like hyper colored and like weird and saturated. And then they'll like run through hallways and it's all like upside down and fucked up it's like like i said it's like real trippy um there's one point there's like some violence in this as well like petula for example um in her role as doctor she's trying to do like the whole reflexes thing and uh it's not working out to mother's satisfaction so basically petula has to bash tilda's kneecap with a meat tenderizer but then like that's really never referred to again like it happens and it looks like really fucked up and painful but then like it seems to be healed in the next scene or like a couple scenes down the line Um, there's one scene too, where Daphne like ties the two other women, like back to back, like with their, it looks like their own hair, but it's like really, really, really long and braided, like clearly much longer than their real hair is, you know, and that they're kind of tied up, but then they seem to escape without explanation. Cause like the next scene or two, they're like free again and nobody brings it up again. Uh, there's one scene where Petula is kind of simulating sex with Daphne. Uh, and then after that, Daphne insists that she's pregnant, like all kind of crazy shit like that happens. Now at one stage, there's kind of like a flashback sequence where it, where they seem to suggest that when all three girls were children, Petula and Tilda accidentally on purpose kind of like pushed Daphne out of their treehouse, like while they were arguing about the game, uh, which caused actually like a devastating injury that rendered Daphne infertile. Uh, hence her continued insistence on playing the mother role or so you're led to assume. So while all of this like trippy Fantasia is going on, 
You also have, lingering around the fringes, is the sole male character, Detective Siegel, who's actually played by Scott Cohen, who I think was on Gilmore Girls and The Tenth Kingdom and stuff. So he actually knew these three girls as children, and he suspected even back then that Petula and Tilda had pushed Daphne from the tree deliberately, like all those years ago. Now, in the present day, he actually, like, arrives at Daphne's remote mansion after neighbors have reportedly called the police and said that they heard women screaming from inside the mansion. And so, uh, so Detective Siegel comes there and he's pretty convinced because he knew, like, that all of them were friends, like, back in the day. So he is led to assume that Petula and Tilda, who are fugitives from justice, like I said, because they were drug dealers and they found all their drugs in their apartment back in New York City. Um, And they, you know, there's missing posters and I'm like all over town. And he's pretty sure that Daphne is like um, hiding them somewhere in the house, but he can't really prove it and he doesn't have a warrant. Um, But Daphne is like acting so weird that it's obvious that she knows more than she's letting on. But like I said, he can't really just like storm in there, even though he's pretty sure that the girls are in there somewhere. And he even uh, says to her, it's like, you know, you might think that you're taking advantage of them, but they're actually like taking advantage of you. So there's kind of like this switcheroo thing going on. So as the events grow ever more surreal and like ever more violent, uh, time and structure start to break down even further. And the movie kind of starts to seem more and more like a really unsettling fever dream. Now, I won't spoil the ending, but suffice it to say that this is a very ambiguous movie that almost demands a second viewing. Like, I kind of feel like there's all these very tantalizing, like, threads of meaning, and they're kind of, like, hovering just out of reach and, like, begging you to, like, put them back together. Now, you're led to assume, and maybe, uh, you know, because, like I said, there's lots of interpretations of this, but I thought that you are supposed to think that whatever, like, most of the stuff that happened, like, at this isolated mansion wasn't real but it's not super clear like where the line between like reality and imagination is i actually have a couple theories of my own about what is what or who uh is real in this scenario um all i'll say about that is that the reason that the movie is called braid at least in my opinion uh is that a braid is obviously like three sections of hair like woven together into one thing like one section uh so i'm thinking maybe that might be making some kind of like metaphorical statement about the relationship of these three women with one another i could be totally off base on that but like i said this is a movie that really you i think you need to see it like at least twice like to really kind of figure out what's going on because it's kind of like crazy and all over the place so i mean whether you find braid like a layered kind of visually stunning exploration of escalating madness perhaps or you know on the other hand i have seen some critics just call it a beautiful looking but incomprehensible mess that's trying too hard uh you know to be like arty um, that's kind of entirely up to you and your own sensibilities. I mean, it's, neither one of those positions is correct, obviously. It's just going to be subjective. Um, I absolutely loved the look of this movie. Um, I loved the score. The acting is fantastic. And I really, really liked this kind of intriguing puzzle that it presented. And I was like, never, even though like sometimes I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? But it's like, it never, it was always interesting. Like it never made me like, oh, Jesus Christ. It never did that. Like I was always, I was all in. Um, But I can see how some viewers might find it, I don't know, just like frustratingly opaque maybe or strange for strangeness's sake, like I said. 
Um, if you have any interest at all, like in any of the movies that I mentioned earlier, like I said, Heavenly Creatures, or we, um, We've Always we've Always Lived in the Castle, or Excision, or something like that, then um, you'll probably like really get into this too. But if not, like, if you don't like that kind of thing, then I really hesitate to recommend it because you'll probably just hate it. Um, but I thought it was, like, outstanding, like an outstanding debut feature. So I'm really looking forward to what this writer-director is going to do in the future because I thought this movie was really cool. And like I said, uh, it's free on Tubi if you want to check it out. But like I said, I'm not going to recommend it across the board because... I know that some people really, really don't like movies like this, and uh, like I do, but I understand that people don't, and that's totally fine. But you know, if, if it sounds like your jam, then I think you should like check it out because I thought it was like pretty awesome. So that will do it for this Flickers of Fear, and I'll see you guys again on the next one. Bye.